doing as a church, but we have not uh, forsaken supporting uh, what's going on over there at Mooresville High School with this with this ministry, and we, we we plan on continuing supporting it, and believe that what they're doing is really the Lord, and it's really important. Uh, yeah, it really is. So we, you know, because not everybody's going to go to Mooresville Christian Academy. There's a lot, and we don't want everybody to because we'd be in trouble if they did. But we really want to bless that ministry, uh, and. And, you know, we will continue to support you guys both financially and, and prayerfully. So you can, we're going to do our part to, to, to help what's going on at the high school. Um, you know, we really uh, believe in, in uh, missions in our church, and we support a, a wide variety of missions uh, and missionaries. Um, you know, everything from Morrisville Bible Teacher Association to building buildings in South America and things in China and just, you know, doing many things as a church. You know, all these flags are flags of nations where somebody from this church has been as a missionary. Uh, they're sort of like our reminders of what God has done. So, and we believe God's going to do a lot more of that. But one thing I wanted to do this morning is to just ask you, I know many of you really have a heart for missions. Um is just receive a special offering for missions. Uh, we're going to be spent sending a bunch of money out this week to, to, to support all the different missionaries uh, that we are supporting. So I'm asking you if you'd be willing to, to give some this morning to help support that. This will go you know, across the board, everybody we're supporting. So uh, we're going to receive that right now. You know, just ask you to be generous. Uh, that's the Great Commission. I don't think we can, any of us can go wrong with that. Um, and while they're doing that, Lord, bless it, Father, and bless the, the giving hearts. Um, I want to make one announcement. This is, this is something that's really good. Um, we uh, really have a heart to see the church in Mooresville and the surrounding areas to really become more unified. And that seems like an almost impossibility, to tell you the truth. But we are meeting weekly with pastors to get together and pray. Um, we've been doing it for almost two years now, consistently. And before that, we were meeting like once a month to just eat and gain weight. <laughs> Not really. We, we did enjoy eating barbecue. But uh, one of the things, this is a major step forward, even though it seems like a small thing, is next Sunday uh, we're going to have Roy Young who is the pastor of Living Waters Church out 150, who's going to be speaking here. And I'm going to be speaking at his church. So we're sort of doing the, the, the old, what they call, puppets swap. And the reason we're doing that is we really do want to see the churches unified. And it, like I say, it's just, it took two years just to get, get this to happen. Uh, we'd like to done, we would like to have done it a few years ago, but... You know, the Lord has to has to do that kind of stuff. So I'm really excited about getting to do that. I think it's a really opportunity. You know, Paul said that he wanted to go to Rome to impart a spiritual gift to them and that they would be able to impart something to him. And that's really what we're looking for. You know, there's, there needs to be some cross-pollination in the church. We need to be affected by other churches in the community because when it all comes down to it... Um, People are going to lay down, you know, when it really push comes to shove, I think these walls are going to come down one way or the other. And I think God would like for us to 
remove the walls now. So be praying about that and just be praying that there really would be a unity amongst the churches across denominational lines. Really our only requirement is that they believe in the cross and believe in the blood. And, and I'm happy with that. You know, if somebody starts messing with that, now we will take issue. <laughs> we'll fight you over that. But otherwise we'll just, you know, let minor things be minor things. Um, so, amen? Uh, if you look in your bulletin this morning, there's a thing in there called Islam 101. And I've been, I got this out of a Christian History magazine. And basically what this is, it's the basic of, the, of a foreign faith by, written by a man by the name of James Beverly. And it really sort of gives you a thumbnail sketch of what the Islam religion believes. Now, the reason I put this in here, I, really, I believe this is really important for us as Christians to understand what is happening in the world today. Because although there's a war going on in Iraq, there's also a spiritual war going on. And our part as the church is the spiritual side. Amen? We have a, we have a responsibility, according to the Word to do spiritual warfare. Now, our government's job, according to the Bible, is the sword, is the military. That's, they have a mandate for these kinds of things. So we, you know, they need to do their job, and we need to do our job. Okay? Now, whether people agree with them being in Iraq, that's really not the issue, what I'm saying, but the Bible's very clear that, that the government has a mandate and the church has a mandate, and they're not the same. Okay? Our mandate is spiritual warfare. Now, part of what... The world is facing today, we're facing uh, this religion called Islam. And it is not a, it's not a good thing, okay? It is not a good thing. And what I wanted to do this morning is I wanted to, to talk to you uh, in context of, of this whole thing of what's going on in the, from a spiritual context, uh, and I'm not going to just put just a focus on Islam, but I do want to just read some, first I want to read some scriptures to you. Uh, turn in your Bible to Galatians 4 and just sort of help us get an understanding as a church of really what's going on spiritually. And, you know, so we can wage our warfare in a little bit more positive. But I would encourage you to take this thing and you can make copies of it and give it to people if you want to. This is really important that we understand this. You know, because this really is one of the enemies of the cross. If, when you read it, you'll see it is very much an enemy of the cross. But, mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I've got a lot more facts I was going to share on that. Uh, but in, let's start in Galatians 4, um, verse 21. This is Paul speaking to the Galatians. Now, the Galatians were Christians. Okay? That's so why he's writing his letter to Christians. He wasn't writing it to non-Christians. They were Gentile Christians. Um, but tell me, you who desire to be under the law, do you hear the law? Do you not hear the law? For it is written, Abraham had two sons, the one by a bondwoman, the other by a free woman. But he who, has, but he who was of the bondwoman was born according to the flesh. And he who of the, of the free woman through promise. So that's important. One was born flat from the flesh. One was born from the promise of God. Which things are symbolic? Now, this is really important. It's symbolic. For these are the two covenants, the one from Mount Sinai, which gives birth to bondage. Everybody say bondage. That's what Islam is all about. It's about bondage, which is Hagar, 
Now, we're going to look at Hagar in a minute, and, get, and we're going to get some ideas of where bondage comes into the Christian's life. For this Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia and corresponds to Jerusalem, which is now, and is in bondage with her children. But the, Jeru- but the Jerusalem above is free, which is the mother of us all. So Paul's talking about spiritual things now. He's not talking about natural things. He's just saying this is a symbolic thing. In other words, Paul was saying if you look at Abraham, you can find a pattern, a spiritual pattern that gives you insight into the spiritual realm and what's going on in the spiritual realm, which will give us insight today into this whole issue of, is- the, of the Islam religion and the issue of why we have a war. The issue of why, you know, we have terrorist attacks in the United States. It's very clearly laid out in the Bible, I believe. Uh, Verse 29 says this, But as he who was born according to the flesh then persecuted him who was born according to the Spirit, even so it is now. So here's what Paul's saying. Back then we had a persecution. Okay, these were the people who tried to either earn their salvation. These are people who were born according to flesh who either tried to earn their salvation or tried to do the works of God according to their flesh are going to persecute the people who trust Christ for salvation and trust Christ to do His work through us. There's an a, a animosity between that spirit and the spirit of Christ. Amen? And there's going to be an attack against those who would trust in Christ. Now, here's the thing about the United States of America. The United States of America claims to be a Christian nation. We know it's not. The United States claims to be free. We know it's not. Relatively speaking, it is. But in the uh, radical Muslim's mind and eye, they see us as absolute infidels. They see us as absolute enemies of God, and we must be destroyed. Now, that's how they see us, because we claim that we're something, and they see we're doing something that doesn't line up with uh, what we say. So, but the bottom line on this war, the bottom line on what is going on when we talk about terrorism today, okay, the bottom line, if you get, get rid of all the issues, is a battle between legalism and grace. That's really the bottom line. That's really at the root of it. You hear what I'm saying to you? It's a battle between legalism, freedom and bondage. Amen? Fear and love. That's what the real war is being fought over. Now, nobody, most people don't know that. Those guys don't know who are doing it. They have a whole different idea. Um, but we, we need to understand as, as Americans today and one day in the future as the church, war has been declared on us. Whether we like it or not, by certain Radical groups within the uh, Muslim faith, war has been declared on you as an American. When they see you, they see the enemy, just like our military sees the Iraqi army as as the enemy, and they're going to go after them. They're coming after us, and they've been coming after us. Now, so I want to give you a few more facts about Islam. Okay, and then I want to take you in the Bible and show you the roots of it, because it's very clear in the Scripture, and show you how we as people can fall under the same bondage. We may not become Muslims. I'm not suggesting that. But I can show you there's a progressive step that's, that led these people into bondage, into the bondage that we see today that they're in. Are you with me? So here's, here's just, I'm going to throw some things out. This is very, all this is very fascinating, but in the Arabic language, the word Islam means surrender or submission. In their mind, is submission to the will of God. A follower of Islam is called a Muslim. Probably a lot of people didn't know that. 
but that's what they call a follower. Just like a follower of Christ is called a Christian. Which, Muslim in the Arabic means one who surrenders to God. Okay? Uh, Muslim was, was founded by a self-proclaimed prophet named Mohammed around 610. Okay? Uh, this man had 12 wives, although if you read the Koran, which is their Bible, it states you can only have four, but he said I had, he had special permission given to him by the angel Gabriel, who supposedly gave him the revelation to have 12 wives. His last wife, this is interesting, his last wife when he married her was nine years old. This is the founder of this religion, married a nine-year-old girl. As one of our famous preachers in America said, this man was a pedophile. That's, that's what we call him today. Okay, the, the Islamic Bible is called the Koran. The Koran is composed of writings accepted by Muslims as revelations made to, to Mohammed by Allah. That's, that's who they call God, their God, through the angel Gabriel. Okay, Muslims trace their ancestry back to Abraham through Ishmael, not Isaac. Through Ishmael, not Isaac. That's very important that we understand that. Muslims believe Abraham took Ishmael up on the mountain to sacrifice and not Isaac. They absolutely believe that. Muslims believe there are seven heavens. They say Abraham's in the seventh heaven, which is the lowest level heaven, and it goes up from there, then Moses in the sixth, some other prophets are in the other ones, and then Jesus Christ is in the second heaven, and Mohammed himself is at the highest level of heaven, which is the first heaven. Jesus himself is mentioned 100 times in the Koran, only as a healer, a teacher, and a prophet. But they, do not, they absolutely do not believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. In fact, they do not believe that God could have a son. Okay, Muslims do not believe that Jesus died on the cross. They do not believe that God would ever allow one of his prophets to be humiliated. They believe that what happened with the person who died on the cross, he was a lookalike. He was another person who looked like Jesus, that God at the last moment snatched Jesus out, took him to heaven, and stuck this other poor sucker on the cross in Jesus' place. That's what they believe. Uh, John Ashcroft, y'all know who John Ashcroft is, when asked what is the difference, and he got in big trouble about this, they asked him what is the basic difference between Christianity and the Islam religion. And, and John Ashcroft's response was, in Christianity, God offers his son for our salvation. In Islam, you have to offer your son for salvation. That was, that's it. You see, the Muslim religion, Islam, is a totally works-based religion. Totally. And nobody knows if they're going to make it to heaven or not because nobody knows if Allah is going to be pleased with them. They have to live by these rules to make sure they get there, and they don't even know until they die if they're going to get there. Um, like Joanne mentioned, it is the fastest growing religion in the world, not just the United States, in the whole world today. Yeah. Well, there's 1.2 billion Muslims in the world right now. 1.2 billion and from the latest statistics in the U.S., there's 11,000 converts per year to Muslims. Most of these converts are coming out of the prison system and out of the ghettos. They're going after the, the, what some people call the bottom feeders of our society, the most deprived people of our society, the most needy people of our society. That's the target of this religion. Now, we need to recognize that not all Muslims are terrorists. Not all Muslims are terrorists. Some do not believe in the jihad, which is the holy war, just like not all Christians are loving, forgiving, and graceful. You got that? Just like we don't live up to what Christianity always says, not all of us are serious who claim to be Christians. But not all people who are Muslims, it's the same with them as with us. You got that? 
Right, the majority of Arabs are Muslims, but the majority of Muslims are not Arabs. Do you understand what I'm saying to you? Most Arabs, the, pop, the general population of Arab countries are Muslims. Saddam Hussein is not a Muslim. He absolutely is not a Muslim. He's just an old carnal guy who will use any religion in the world to get his way. He's just a, he's a dictator. But he's not a Muslim. He's not a practicing Muslim at all. I, I think he just believes in himself. He believes he's Nebuchadnezzar. Or he did. I don't know. <laughs> you know. Um, so we have countries like India, Bangladesh, Turkey, uh, many of these countries that are our are, are, are primary Muslim countries. Uh, Islam, let me, I said it before, Islam is an enemy of the cross of Christ. That religion is an enemy of the cross of Christ. No matter what anybody tells you, do not believe it. You read these facts about it, you read the Koran, and they are absolutely opposed to the cross. Absolutely. Therefore, they are our enemies. Now, I'm not talking about the human being, flesh and blood. That I knew, I've known several Muslims, practicing Muslims. Okay? Not bad. They're just people just like us. They were just deceived people. But that religion, that spirit that's behind that is an enemy of the cross of Christ. Therefore, it is an enemy of Christianity. Okay? Now, Paul was dealing... Did y'all... I'll just throw a bunch of information at you. <laughs> I find this stuff totally fascinating, though. Paul was dealing with the Galatians, Galatian Christians who were, at that time, who were falling into legalism. They weren't falling into Islam... But they were falling into a religious system of being accepted by God based on what they did, their works, not based on what Christ did. And he was warning them. It's the same spirit that's behind Muslim, the Muslim religion today. The same spirit was affecting the Galatian Christians. And Paul was warning them, you know, it's, it's bondage. It's bondage that you're fixing to get into. So do you understand the general thing I'm trying to talk to you? Now, what I've done, I went back and looked at the roots which is Hagar, okay? And I've identified four gates. There's like four, to me, there's successive gates that the Christian can step into bondage from. Are you all with me? Do you understand what I'm trying to communicate to you this morning? Are you? Okay. So turn in your Bible, Genesis 16. And let's just go back and read this whole thing in this Totally blow your mind. So I've got four, four gates that I feel like the Lord has shown me that really could really help us. Because, uh, you know, it's great to know all these facts about Islam, and I believe we need to know them, but I believe we need to know how does this apply to me personally as a Christian? How do I keep from being affected by this spirit that's at work in the world today? Because just like it came after the Galatians Christians, do you think that spirit's going to ignore us? It's going to come after us. And, it's, you know, if there's 1.2 billion people in the world who are being influenced by this Spirit, it'll come to us. It may come to us under some other name, under some other disguise, but the Spirit's the same. Amen? All right, uh, Genesis 16, let me just start reading in verse 1. Uh, now, Sarah, the Abram's wife, had borne him no children, and she had an Egyptian maidservant whose name was Hagar. So this is where Hagar first... Hagar was an Egyptian. So Sarah said to Abram, now this is before they got their name changed, so this is early in their, their, their walk with God. See now, the Lord has restrained me from bearing children. Please go into my maid, perhaps I shall obtain children by her. And Abram heeded the voice of Sarah. Then Sarah, Abram's wife, took Hagar, her maid, the Egyptian, and gave her to her husband, 
And that was probably pretty, it was common back in that day to do that kind of stuff. Um, it's not today, so don't be trying that. <laughs> Just by the way. Uh, gave her to Abram to, to, to be his wife. After Abram had dwelt ten years in the land of Canaan. Now listen, that ten years important. They had spent ten years waiting on God to fulfill His Word, and it hadn't happened. Therefore, they were impatient with God. Uh, you know, God made us a promise ten years ago. He's never fulfilled it. Let's see what we can do about helping God out here. Okay, that's, that's important. We'll get, get back to that in a minute. I just wanted to point that out. So he went into Hagar and she conceived. And when she saw that she had conceived, her mistress became despised in her eyes. In other words, when she conceived, she began to really not like, basically what the Bible says, she despised, hated, thought little of Sarah. That's, that's what happened. You know, so there was just, this division suddenly appeared between these two women. Um, which was not there before. Then Sarah said to Abraham, My wrong be upon you. I gave my maid into your embrace. And, and when she saw that she had conceived, I became despised in her eyes. The Lord judged between you and me like, you know, I can understand how Abraham thinking, Man, what, you know, what did I do? I just did what you asked me to do. He shouldn't have done it. He was wrong. You know what I'm saying? But you know how he would feel just being in the flesh. <laughs> So Abram said to Sarah, Indeed, your maid is in your hand. Do all to her as you please. And when Sarah dealt harshly with her, so that's important. Sarah started treating this person bad. She started treating Hagar badly. Uh, She fled from from her presence. In other words, she ran away. Important. She fled. Now, the angel of the Lord found her by a spring of water in the wilderness by the spring on the way to Shur. And he said, Hagar, Sarah's maid, where have you come from and where are you going? So the Lord comes and finds this woman out in the middle of nowhere. And she said, I'm fleeing from the presence of my mistress, Sarah. The angel of the Lord said to her, Return to your mistress and submit yourself under her hand. Then the angel of the Lord said to her, I will multiply your descendants exceedingly so that you shall not be counted, so they shall not be counted for multitude. And the angel of the Lord said to her, Behold, you are with child, and you shall bear a son, and you shall call his name Ishmael. Because the Lord has heard your what? Everybody say affliction. Affliction, real important word. And then he goes on and he talks about, you know, he said, He shall be a wild man. And that's proven to be kind of true. His hand shall be against every man, and every man's hands against him, and, and he shall dwell in the presence of all his brethren. Then she called the name of the, of, of the Lord who spoke to her, You are the God who sees. For she said, I have... I have also here seen him who sees me. Therefore the well was called Ber la Roha. Observe, it is between Kadesh and Barad. So Hagar bore Abram a son, and Abram named his son, whom Hagar bore Ishmael. And Abram was 86 years old. Get that. He was 86 years old when this happened. Okay? All right, here's the first gate. Well, first let me explain that word affliction. This is an important word in the Bible, affliction. It's a key word because it doesn't say that God heard her prayers. It says, what did it say? It says, God heard her what? Affliction. Her affliction, God was listening. He heard this cry from this woman out in the middle of nowhere. She, and her cry wasn't her prayer. It was what was happening to her. The injustice. And let me say it was an injustice that had happened to this woman. She was rudely treated, mistreated terribly by, guess who? The father and mother of our faith. I mean, it was an awful thing. Now, that word... Affliction, I looked it up, it speaks of the... Here's some of the other uses in the Old Testament for this word affliction. 
It speaks of the pain inflicted on Joseph's ankles by the fetters when he was captured. It sets forth what Egypt did to Israel by placing them in bondage. bondage. In Numbers 24, 24, in, in the book of Judges, it describes the physical pain brought by war. It is used for what God does to his enemies. So the afflict means to, to, to distress severely so as to cause continued suffering. Now, the reason I read, I want you to get a feel that this woman was in continue, continual suffering. You hear me? And God heard her suffering. She was out there in the wilderness suffering, afflicted, mistreated badly. And God didn't hear her prayers because obviously she wasn't praying, but He heard the pain of her heart crying out. That's powerful. So here's the first gate. The first gate, I believe, that puts every Christian in bondage is what I call the self-effort gate. The self Everybody say self-effort. And what we need, we need this, listen, we as Christians need to understand the potential damage that we do when we try to fulfill God's will in our own efforts. Because that's exactly what Abraham and Sarah did. They tried to do what only God could do. And it opened this door, it opened this gate of bondage, and it hurt this person. Hagar, badly. And we really need to understand that. It was at the hands of two of God's most important people in the Bible. And I believe we're suffering today. We're suffering today. That war today is because of fleshly efforts by Abraham and Sarah. That's why we have this war. Because they tried to fulfill God's will in their own carnal self. And we've got to ask ourselves, how much suffering are we causing in our houses, in our homes? How much suffering are we causing in the church? How much suffering are we, I'm talking about we as God's people, Christians, called of God, blessed of God. How much suffering are we causing the world around us, the people that we love the most, because we are trying to fulfill and do what God has promised that He would do in our life? Ask yourself that question. How much suffering are we producing in the world? Um... If we're striving to make things work, we need to stop and ask ourselves a question. Okay? Is this God? If it is, then I must be trying in my flesh to make it work. It was God for Abraham and Sarah to have a baby. But they got in the flesh and tried to make it work. That is why I believe the grace message is absolutely imperative to the church. Just what I just told you. That one thing, if we get the grace message... And grace is this. Grace, let me just say this one more time. Grace is living in total dependence on the Holy Spirit, not in dependence upon our own resources to make life work. Did you hear that? We better get that, nor our ability to remember and live by the rules of principles. Are y'all got that? I've been talking to y'all about grace ever since September. And that's, I just gave you the biggest reason. When those terrorists blew that daggone Twin Towers down. That is a good reason for us to get in our hearts. God, what are we doing? Seriously. With all our fleshly efforts to try to do what you've called us to do. Abraham had waited ten years on God's promise. Well, he ain't going to do it. Let's take it in our own hands and do it. Look at the damage it's caused. Are y'all hearing what I'm saying to you this morning? We better get a revelation of grace. We better get a revelation that we need to depend on the Holy Spirit to do it. We need to depend on the Spirit of God to help us wait, to give us the power to wait and give us the power to do instead of doing what we do. It's not a good thing. They opened the gate. 
for bondage by doing what they did. Romans 14, verse 23 says, For whatever is not from faith is sin. That was not from faith what they did. It was sin. And if we're doing things, I'm not going to belabor the point. I think y'all got that one. All right, second gate of bondage is the running from your troubles gate. Notice it said that Hagar fled. Now, her name literally means in the Hebrew, one who takes flight. One who takes flight. Okay? I believe a lot of trouble in the church today, a lot of trouble with Christianity today, is because we won't face our troubles. How many marriages have been broken because one of the persons decided, this is not worth it, man, I'm going to go out and find me somebody who would do me better. When God really never meant for them to run. You know, I was talking to a guy yesterday who was talking about his church. Talking about, man, my church is like a, revol- a revolving door. People coming in and going out all the time. You know, they come and they leave. I said, every church is like that. And you know why every church is like that? Because many of those people are leaving. They, they're facing the same problem. They go from church to church to church looking for something. But really, they're carrying the problems with them. They're running. And they never face up to their own problems. I said, we've got to get a hold of that one. If we have issues, we've got to face them. Or we can run like Hagar did. She ran away thinking... That was going to solve her problem. Get away from this person. And it took a supernatural intervention of God to come into her life and say, you can't run. Go back. A supernatural intervention. And what we need probably in the church, what we need in Christian marriages, you know, because our divorce rate is equivalent to the world's divorce rate now, we need a supernatural intervention of God to say, wait, go back. Running from your problem is not going to solve it. Just like it didn't solve Hagar's problem. It opened the door of bondage. That's the second gate. Y'all with me? Galatians 2.21. This is something somebody said this week. Uh, I do not, this is old King James, I do not frustrate the grace of God. New King James says, I do not set aside the grace of God. And when we run from our problems and do not face them, we are frustrating the grace of God in our life. The grace of God can't work. Now, the one thing about Hagar, she went back, but... Something didn't happen. Let's turn over to, uh, are y'all with me? Turn over to Genesis 21. So there's two gates. One is the gate of self-efficacy.